0: Well, good morning, Discover Church. God is up to great things, not only here, but all across our country and world. And I just want to share a little bit about that before we jump in. It was on February 8th, it was a normal chapel service at Asbury College in Kentucky. Chapel service meant to be about an hour long and it just didn't end. People wanted to stay, linger in the presence of God People wanted to repent, and that went on for days and days. And only earlier this past week on Monday did it disperse because 50,000 people had showed up in this little college in town. And that is spreading to other colleges, this great outpouring. And I find that so encouraging. Because so many times we look at maybe a situation in our own lives or we look at our world, our nation, and we just say, you know what, things are too far gone. And it's at those very moments God opens up heaven, once again, says, I'm gonna show up. I'm gonna change the script. And he does something beautiful, amazing. And we want that here. Our prayer isn't, God, would you revive someone else? God, would you do an outpouring down the street? No, we want that. We need that outpouring. And so I'm so glad that you're a part of that. You know, a few weeks ago, I had just the best Monday ever. And I want to tell you a little bit about it. Now, how many of you, you just love Mondays? Like, T-G-I-M, thank God it's Monday. (laughs) Now, I have a little bit of an extenuating circumstance. Monday is my day off, so it's normally a good day. And I started at the gym. Now, it's twofold. One... A little bit of workout, but secondly, you get two and a half hours of free childcare there. <laughs> so I have a little bit of me time, and towards the end of my me time, I'm just kind of wrestling with this situation. You know, what am I going to do? How will this unfold? What is the wise thing, the godly thing, for this to proceed? And then it was just in a moment, God just put it in my heart and mind. This is what's going to happen. This is what to do and it's gonna be great. And I just said, God, thank you. This is exactly the thing that I've been wondering about, searching for, and you have just laid it out so clearly. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. And then, I get home. My kids are home from school. I try to get them to do their homework. Sometimes I'm successful, sometimes not. But today, they they just dove right in doing their reading, doing their homework. And while I'm helping them with their homework, my two boys, instead of throwing Lincoln logs at each other, they're playing together so nicely. And I wonder, God, why is this Monday turning out so great? And he said something very clear. He says, I want you to remember last night here at this altar, we had an extended time of just waiting on the Lord. Abiding, remaining in the Lord, and said, What happened then is why this Monday is the way it is. You know, a lot of times I think we have a hard time connecting the dots. Let time spent with God is far better than striving, abiding far greater than striving. And so, With the help of the Holy Spirit and scripture this morning, I wanna connect those dots for us because I believe with the revivals that are happening, what God is wanting to do in our church and our lives, God is calling us to a greater place of simply remaining in him, allowing him to do the great work through us. We're gonna be looking at John chapter 15 and a little background of this chapter. Jesus, he's with his disciples He's hours before his arrest and crucifixion. They have just celebrated the Last Supper. Jesus has told them, I'm going to give my life for you. There's going to be a betrayal. And he leads them towards the Mount of Olives. And as they do that, they pass through a vineyard. And Jesus sees this vineyard as the perfect backdrop, the perfect metaphor to explain how you and I as disciples are supposed to connect with him, relate with him, and so he uses a couple of terms here. He talks about a vine, and Jesus is referring to himself. Jesus is the vine. He talks about the gardener, and this is referring to God, or Heavenly Father. He speaks of branches. This is referring to ordinary people just like you and I. And lastly, fruit. Fruit, which is just the natural result of us being connected to Jesus. There is no plant in your garden that strives or struggles to produce fruit. It's just a natural outcome of being connected, well-watered and cared for. And so our passage, John 15:1, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing." If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. God has created everything to be productive, everything to bear fruit. Our lives are meant to be productive and increase. And God is glorified in this system by which he creates an apple tree. And off that apple tree you can eat an apple, then plant that seed, another apple tree will grow, and again you can have an apple. It's a cycle of life where there is seeding and fruit bearing and increase and productivity. This is a cycle in which God has made everything. And so again, in verse one, he says, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And I want you to notice right away, he says, my father is the gardener. And that is important because I think sometimes we get gardener confusion. You see, we think that we are the gardener and so we're gonna wrestle those shears away from God and we say, hey, you stand back and watch me do some gardening. Jesus says very clearly, no, it's my Father, which is the gardener. And he says, he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, and I want you to picture it like this basket here. This could be representative of our lives, that there's just a season, there's no fruit, there's no productivity, it just feels dry and withered. And Jesus says, if this is where your life is at, the Father cares enough, that he's gonna come and intervene. And he's gonna cut off that branch. You know, some people would hear that and say, well, could a branch like that even be a Christian? Can you be a Christian and not bear fruit? And it's interesting that he says, he cuts off every branch in me. The New Testament repeatedly describes we as believers, we are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And so I believe it is possible to be in Christ and yet go through seasons of life where we are not producing fruit. If you're like me, I have certainly gone through those seasons. Sometimes it could be a week or a month and sometimes longer than that and you just know deep down that I am not bearing fruit. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. In a vineyard, the branches have a natural tendency to grow down towards the ground, and as they're growing along the ground, they get covered with dirt. Branches along the ground will not produce fruit. And so, if your life consistently bears no fruit, God will intervene to discipline you, and if necessary, he will bring painful measures to bring about repentance. His purpose, just like that branch in the mud, is just to wash it off, cleanse it, free us of sin, so that we could live an abundant life for his glory. The Bible speaks of this process as discipline or as chastening, and it is the best news you never wanted to hear. You see, discipline is when our Heavenly Father, he steps in and begins to cut away those destructive habits or thoughts in our lives. Deuteronomy 8.5, as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. And it's obvious that we're all fallen. And we all have ongoing issues of sin in our life. But God's discipline often will begin as a major unconfronted sin problem. An attitude is blighting your life. And the discipline ends when the problem ends. Now, let's do a little group therapy here. How many of you, you were spanked growing up. How many of you were spanked? So some of you have just been triggered, right? There's some trauma. I want to now forward, how many of you would say, you know what, I spank the neighbor kids. I've got some bad kids in the neighborhood, I spank the neighbor kids. Like, just don't tell the lawyers, right? <laughs> Hebrews twelve five says, and you have, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that it addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And so this passage gives us three principles here. that Number one, God is the source of all discipline. And secondly, that he disciplines all believers. And third, he always acts out of love. And so here's the good news. If God is disciplining you, it means that you're his son or his daughter. Because God doesn't spank the neighbor kids. You know, if you're a parent, uh, chances are you're a little reluctant to discipline your child, right? I mean, I don't want to bring pain to my child. Guess what? That's exactly how God feels about you. He doesn't want to bring pain to you. And yet any parent, good parent, knows that if I allow this to go unchecked in my child, If I allow that lying, that disobedience, that disrespect to continue, it will destroy the life of my child. And I love you too much. And so I'm gonna discipline. And I'm gonna attempt to cut off that branch that bears no fruit. And so God is the gardener and he's gonna take necessary measures to correct wayward branch. And that loving God will even bring pain to get our attention. Hebrews 12, 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. A lot of people misread God's discipline because of experiences they had growing up at home. You know, it was the parent who said, you know what, this is gonna hurt me more than this is going to hurt you, but truthfully, they were just angry, and maybe they lost control. Your heavenly Father will never discipline you out of rage or out of selfish desire. He never loses control. Verse 10, For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. You see, God's actions are meant just to lovingly nudge you persistently towards the life and character you cannot create without his help. And so once you understand that God has a motive and discipline, there's an astonishing truth that dawns on you. The discipline doesn't need to continue. I only have to experience pain as long as I hold on To my sin. You see, the gardener, he only has your abundance and your joy in mind, not misery. And so he'll tend to a dried up, useless branch. God doesn't expect you to enjoy his correction or to seek it out. Matter of fact, if you're being disciplined, God wants the discipline to end even more than you want it to end. And so if your basket is empty, God loves you enough to intervene. He's going to bring you discipline, he's gonna cut out the branches that are dead, and so that you can begin to grow fruit. Back to the passage, he says, I am the true vine, my father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And so discipline brings us from having an empty basket to now we start to have some fruit. And we'd say, honestly, I can see good things happening in my life. I can see God has done this. I mean, I'm a fruity Christian. Well, now God wants to take us even more. He wants us to have not just fruit. He wants us to have more fruit. And this is where pruning comes in. God will reward your growth with pruning. You will graduate on to pruning. And the purpose is that there'd be increase. The father is extremely interested in getting a return on his investment. Jesus tells two parables about masters who left servants with money, with talents, the parable of the talents and the 10 minas. And in both stories, an increase is expected, it is demanded. And think of this, the minimum level of increase demanded was 100%. Now I want you to go to your bank tomorrow or your credit union and say, this checking account, I expect 100% interest this year. Let me know how that goes. You know, there was only one person in each story that stood before the Lord in judgment and that was the servant who hid the talent in the ground. And so the master said, why didn't you at least put it in the bank so I could get some level of interest? And so you and I, we have to think in terms of how God sees increase. God positions every plant with sunshine, with rain, with oxygen, with rich soil to thrive. God has positioned you to thrive. And he requires an increase, but it's not an increase that we have to produce on our own. It's simply increase when we are connected and attached to the vine, and we allow our Father to do the pruning. Staying attached to God, allowing God then to do the pruning. You don't have to groan for grapes, or you don't have to claim grapes, or I'm going to manifest grapes. Stay connected to the vine. Allow God to prune, and you will bear fruit. You'll begin to see growth. And as more and more growth happens, then God will do more and more pruning. And I want you to see how this looks in the life of the disciples. In in Luke 9, 1, we read, When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Verse 6, so they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. And so Jesus sends the disciples out in ministry and they are very, very productive. They have all these stories now a breakthrough. They saw miracles happen that didn't happen before apart from Jesus and now miracles are happening just among themselves. They see that God is actually working through their hands. They're seeing that God is working through their words and they are besides themselves in excitement and so they're very, very enthused. Later in that chapter, the disciples are kind of huddled up, they're having a discussion without Jesus and Jesus walks up and says, hey, uh, what are you guys talking about? And Jesus, being God, knows exactly what they're talking about. They're having a discussion, who is the greatest among us? There are some things in our heart that will not be revealed through our weakness or through failures. There are some things in our heart that need to come out only through success. And so Jesus sends them out and they have breakthroughs and they bring their great reports back and the next scene is they're arguing over who is the greatest. Why? Because of their success. It wasn't a failure in ministry that caused the problem. It was the fact that they were fruitful You see, the disciples saw God doing such amazing things through each of their lives, they thought there's no way that others could be seeing things like this. And so the success begins to bring up something in their hearts. And what Jesus does then is he begins to talk about what real greatness is. He begins to prune their value system, he begins to prune their vision so that they could accurately see the way that God sees. They argue about who is the greatest and Jesus teaches them what it truly means to be great. The people who hung out with Jesus, they began to dream bigger dreams, they had visions, they began to dream of doing things they could have never done on their own. And there's something powerful that when you hang out with someone who believes in you, it brings out the best in you. And Jesus believed in his disciples jesus believes in you how much did he believe in them how much did he trust them he trusted them enough just to send them out on their own and let them loose you know having someone believe in them it stirred up something in them that was powerful and right they began to have a sense of personal significance and what happens is they bear fruit and the fruit is that they had miracles And the fruit was that people were hearing the gospel. They were getting a a right representation of Jesus in these towns and that is good fruit. And they come back and they begin to argue about who is the greatest and that's some not so good fruit. And so over here we've got a branch that's growing grapes and over here we've got this branch starting to grow towards the ground. All it's gonna have is leaves It's not gonna produce fruit and it's gonna develop only in an outward appearance. Hey, look at what I've got going on here. Look at all these leaves when Jesus wanted them to be fruitful. And so he rewards the growth with pruning and what he does is he points to them what is growing in them that is not healthy. Every one of us, we have gifts and talents that God has given to us. And if those gifts and talents are under the control of the Holy Spirit, if they're under the lordship of Jesus, those bring great glory to our Heavenly Father. They bring fruit. But if we take those same gifts and talents and they are not under the lordship of Jesus, they have the potential to bring great problems. Look at Matthew and Judas. They were both skilled in finances They were good with money, and Judas must have shown skills in accounting because he was put in charge of the money bag. And having the ability to earn lots of income and to invest it into the kingdom is actually a very good thing. But being so driven by the desire to earn extra money that you're willing to steal and betray the Son of God, that's bad fruit. And it appears like Matthew allowed himself to be pruned, where. Judas, he shunned the pruning. Peter, he has a gift of boldness. He's very quick on his feet. He's quick to speak. Sometimes the things he says just makes you laugh. I think of the transfiguration. We're told that Jesus, his face, it shone like the sun and there appeared alongside of him Moses and Elijah. And so someone has to break the silence and say something and it's Peter. And I love what he says. He says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Like, that is the great understatement of the century. He says, if you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And so here he's seeing this amazing miracle unfold before them. And he's thinking, you know, maybe we could turn this into like an interstate rest stop. I'm going to put up three picnic pavilions and maybe a historical marker. I thought it was funny. Every service did not think it was funny. So Peter, he's bold. He's quick on his feet. uh, But he says the wrong thing at the wrong time. He tells Jesus at the Last Supper, don't wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, I've got to. Well, then he says, okay, give me a whole bath. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm just washing your feet. He says, Jesus, don't go to the cross. And yet that same Peter, as he allows that boldness to be under the Lordship of Christ, he sees a crowd of thousands. They're mocking the outpouring of the Spirit. And he presents the gospel, and 3,000 people come to Christ. You see, his boldness outside the Lordship of Christ brings problems. But once it's submitted and once it is pruned, it brings great fruit. And so Jesus says, hey, we've got some branches growing wild. We've got some branches growing to the ground. It's not going to bear fruit, and we're going to cut it back. The disciples are arguing, who is the greatest among us? And Jesus says, the greatest is like this child. The very next scene, Luke 9, 49, Master said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. John says, we saw this other ministry group. They're trying to cast out demons. We told them, knock it off. That's our job. You see, Jesus, it's just us 12 and you. It's us 13 that are going to change the world. And their loyalty to the group is healthy. But loyalty in the kingdom of God doesn't require you to be disloyal to another. And that is a humanistic loyalty. And so Jesus says, verse 50, do not stop him. For whoever is not against you is for you. And this is a new way of thinking. Jesus says, if they're not against us, they are for us. And so what did Jesus do? He prunes. He says, loyalty, this is a good thing. But this branch over here growing, it's going to cause you to be self-centered. It's going to cause you to be exclusionary. And that is not kingdom at all. And so we're just going to do a little bit of trimming here. And if they're not against us, they're for us. Zeal and passion is good. If misdirected, it's a problem. If it's under the lordship of Jesus, it is great. My son, Luke, he loves to help me cook in the kitchen. He, uh, he loves to crack the eggs. Uh, he loves to push the buttons on the blender. And sometimes he likes to do it before I put the lid on the blender. <laughs> he loves to measure out all the flour. And so sometimes as we get going, I just look around like this is becoming such a mess. Just leave. I will take it from here. Have you ever faced that dilemma where you've empowered someone and then it's just like, this is just a mess. Just, I need to take this back. I will do it myself. And I want you to know that Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus was willing to let them make mistakes. He was willing to allow them to be successful so that things in their heart would be surfaced and so he could take care of those through pruning. And I want you to notice how Jesus does the pruning. He doesn't berate them, he doesn't belittle them, he doesn't demote them. Instead, he speaks to the issue. And so as long as you and I, we are willing to be hearers of the word, as willing as we are allowed to let Jesus speak that change into our lives, So often, he can accomplish pruning just simply through his words. Now, if you want God to pull out a bigger pair of shears, that is completely up to you. Because he is God. And he can use any circumstance he wants. But but God can accomplish pruning just by his still, small voice. He'll say to you, you know what? That situation you're not viewing it correctly. You're too focused on this in your life while you're neglecting this part that is far more important. Um, You need to focus on that child. You need to re-engage in that relationship. Um, You need to skip dessert. That was for me, not for you. And so pruning is good, and he wants there to be fruit in your life. And God is willing to take you to the next level. And eventually, um, he wants you to be like this basket right here. Now, how do you know if you're being disciplined or pruned? You, you can confuse the two, and they're very different. Author Bruce Wilkinson, he wrote the book, Secrets of the Vine, and he, he has this graph, and I want to share it with you. How do you know if it's disciplining or pruning? Uh, in discipline, you're going to feel pain. And in pruning, you're going to feel pain why is this happening well if it's discipline it's because i'm doing something wrong but in pruning it's because i'm doing something right there's fruit. what is your level of fruitfulness well if it's discipline it's because i have an empty basket and if it's pruning it's because there is some fruit what is the gardener's desire well in discipline it's that i would get to a place of fruit and in pruning it is that i would have more fruit what needs to go? In discipline, it's the sin. And in pruning, it's our self, our self-will. How should you feel? While in discipline, there should be remorse, feel sad or guilty. In pruning, it should be relief and trust. What is the right response? While in discipline, it should be repentance. While in pruning, it should be release. release. Like, God, I give you permission, shape and form me as you will. And when does it stop? In discipline, it stops when we stop sinning. And in pruning, it ends when God is finished. And so, in that pruning, God's gonna take us from the second to the third basket. And now eventually, God wants to do this. He wants to bring us to the place of abundance. Uh, Verse three, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself as it must remain in the vine. Wow, I didn't know the cameras picked that up. Great, thank you. (laughs) Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so Jesus very clearly says, without him we can do nothing. In John 5, he says, I can do nothing without my Heavenly Father, and in the same way, you can do nothing without me. And so Jesus, he modeled this for us. He set the example. He lived out the value system, and he's showing us from day one, this is what it looks like to be dependent because he could do nothing without the Father. And this is how much he emptied himself, that while he was here on earth, he was still 100% God, but he put himself in a human body, totally dependent on the Father, and so he passes this off to us. He puts us in a position where you can do nothing, and yet he expects everything, which means we'll have to learn dependency to pull this off. God the Father, he's expecting fruitfulness, And so what's my role? I abide. I remain. I stay connected and I protect that connection. And what about the fruit bearing? Well, that just comes naturally as I remain connected and I allow God to prune. He says in verse six, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. And so when a branch is no longer connected, it is dry, it is dead, it's a stick, you throw it in the fire. Verse seven, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And Jesus says, if my words remain in you. It's an incredible thing and it is a precious thing when God speaks to you. And so when God speaks to you as you open up your scriptures, When God speaks to you as you're driving down the road or you're having your quiet time, what you do is you put those things in your heart and you protect his words. And then you bring them out later and you ponder them again and you reflect on them. This is what God has spoken to me. And then you put it back in your heart. This is what Jesus is saying, that if my words remain in you, My words remain in you and my words remain in, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus says, if you remain in me, that connection of my words then being in you, that combination, you will pray. And you'll pray for things that the Father wants to happen. And the Father will respond to those prayers and he is glorified because you are eternally productive. He's glorified through fruit, and in that verse, he's glorified by answers to prayer. And not just any prayer, he's not gonna answer a prayer that's gonna separate your heart from his. Um, But what happens is as we pray, we're walking with God, and we're learning what his heart is, and that should be an offspring of our our walk with God, The dreams and desires of God would be put in our heart. Our prayer is not just time giving a shopping list to God, but God sharing his heart with us. Jesus says, I have not called you servants, I have called you friends. And why is that? Because a servant doesn't know the why behind the what. But Jesus says, I want you to know. I want you to know what what drives my heart, I want you to know what really matters to me my values i want you to know what i'm up to and a servant doesn't get access to that but a friend does and so we remain and we abide and then we get to understand his heart god's dream is that he could work through yielded people people who remain and abide have you ever had a conversation with someone and you feel like you can't get a word in edgewise Or maybe they're having a a discussion with you and it's a topic you really could care less about. You know, sometimes we have a hard time hearing from God, and I wonder if the same dynamic is at play, that maybe we're not letting God get a, a word in edgewise. Or maybe we just keep talking to him about things that honestly God is not all that concerned about. And so if you want to hear from God more clearly, we can approach him in abiding and say, Hey God, what do you want to talk about? What's on your heart today? Would you share that with me? Because I'm going to treasure that. I'm going to put it in my heart. I'm going to protect it. God, what is on your heart? What do you want to talk about? And God loves to talk about a lot of things. God loves people. God loves people far from him. God loves people who are lost. God loves children. He loves to talk about children. He wants every child to know how much he loves them. God loves unity. God loves forming righteousness in us and peace. God loves missions. God loves the nations of the world. God wants every nation represented around the throne in heaven one day. And so as we abide and we remain in him, We make it our business to hear his heart, the things that are on his mind. And our prayer can be, God, share with me your heart. What are you doing in the world? And how can I be a part of it? And when your heart is yielded and it connects to God's heart that is generous, you then have this last basket. And it's just a place of fruitfulness, it is a place of abundance. This is God's dream for you. And so we're gonna close in prayer. I'm just gonna ask you to stand with me.